0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction, in the fields of bodies burning machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwash mind.
1: Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia from the studios of Community Radio 3CR. It's broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is podcast. So if you're fortunate enough to miss it. You can be unfortunate enough to listen to it on the podcast, 3cr.org.au. What we try to do on the Anarchist World this week, and the key word is try, T-R-Y, is to prevent a, present an analysis of uh, what's happening in the world today. We uh, try to tackle all the issues. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, and sometimes we just float. But that's the way it is. Do you wonder what anarchism is all about? Don't believe the propaganda. Anarchism is a very simple concept. Anarchos without rulers How do you create a society without rulers? You look what, what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people As we're now seeing, you know, with the China-Russian-U.S. conflict Very simple, inequalities in power and wealth So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share wealth Hold wealth in common and use it for the common good And the struggle to devolve power possibly through direct democratic means. And those of you who listen to the series we did with the activists in, uh, in uh, Syria, in the autonomous zone of uh, north and east Syria, would uh, understand many of the anarchist principles which they've put into place uh, in a population of 5 million in the midst of a war zone. So let's move on. <coughs> a nice little war. I was getting a little bit concerned, you know. I was concerned for the armaments industry. I was really concerned about them. When the US pulled out of Afghanistan, I thought, this is not good for the bottom line. This is not good for the bottom line. There'll be no more war in Afghanistan. There may be oppression of the local population, but there's not going to be any more war. You know, what are those shareholders... Of all those military-industrial complexes around the world going to do, well, I'm pleased to announce that the theatre has now moved to the Ukraine. Now, a lot of people think you need to take sides when uh, sovereign nation-states battle each other in an attempt to spread their uh, sphere of influence. They think you need to take side. They need to, they think, they need, well, you need to be with the US or you need to be with the Russians. And if you live in Australia, <coughs> we have the normal narrative. It is a normal narrative that's been going on for decades because I remember when I was looking at historical precedents in the 1870s and 1880s, that's right, in Russia and Australia, that the Australians, especially the people in Melbourne, were transfixed with the possibility of a Russian invasion. And if you go to Port Nepean at the heads, you'll notice some uh, cannon emplacements. And those cannon emplacements were created in order to keep out the Russians. And at the same time, if you go down to Half Moon Bay uh, between, I think it's uh, Black Rock and uh, Sandringham, you'll see the wreck of the Cerebus, which was bought by the Victorian government at that particular point in time, to head off a ra- Russian invasion. And when you listen to all the rhetoric regarding the Yellow Hordes, when you hear Mr Morrison and uh, Mr Potato Head carry on about the Yellow Hordes, I and mean, this is a constant recurring theme in Australian colonisation. It's this huge fear that we have that The colonisers are going to be colonised by somebody else. So you don't need to take sides. So let's look at the situation in the Ukraine. It's very simple. Although everybody tells you it's complex. It's very simple. When the Soviet Union collapsed, many of the states uh, around the uh, Soviet Union, um, many of the states around the Soviet Union, uh, gained their independence. The Soviet Union, under the Tsar and under the communist authorities, had a very, very long history of expansionism. And when the Soviet Empire collapsed, about 15 new nation states emerged, and Ukraine was one of them. Now, the problem with the Ukraine is it actually borders Russia now when the Russian Empire collapsed in I think it was 1991, it could have been 89, got my well, it was during that period the Western alliance promised the Russians that NATO would not expand into Eastern Europe because the Russian successive Russian governments, communist or non-communist, have always been historically concerned about the possibility of being invaded f- from Europe. So what we saw over the last 30 years is an expansion of NATO into more and more of the Russian, former Russian satellite states, Estonia, Latvia, and the list goes on and on. Now, when the Russians over the last few years have been saying We don't want NATO, which to a significant degree is an alliance between the US and the European Union, we don't want NATO to be on our doorstep. And we don't want NATO to join, we don't want Ukraine to join NATO. Because this is the underlying issue. What the Russian Federation would like to do is have a buffer state between it and NATO in case of future conflict. And the Russians have got a long memory because you've got to remember that out of a population of less than 110 million, 26 million Russians died during World War II. It wasn't for the Russian uh, uh, sacrifices that were made. It's quite likely that we'd all be uh, goose-stepping around the place, those of us that are still left. So that's the background. Now, NATO... Well, the European Union pushed and prodded the United States, refused to negotiate. You refused point blank to negotiate for a significant reason. Because, for a significant reason, is that Ukraine has become not an independent nation state, but basically a creature of the US. Now, don't forget about uh, Mr. Biden's son's investments in the Ukraine and the amount of corporate money which has poured into the Ukraine over the last few decades. So we're supposed to take one side or another. We're supposed to follow the narrative. And the narrative is very simple in Australia. There are good guys and bad guys. We're the good guys. The Russians and the Chinese governments are the bad guys. And we will do everything possible to maintain democracy. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually we'll do everything possible to maintain the corporate private investment for private profit crowd, everything possible and there is nothing like a nice little war to create that sense of emergency. And fear, which is so important in Australia, in Australian politics, because most of the elections that we've had over the last hundred years have been based on fear, the fear of invasion, the fear of the other. And the private investment for private profit crowd, the corporatised pro- private investment of private profit crowd, have been able to use this fear in order to have themselves elected and re elected and re elected and we're seeing once again the same narrative, the same script. The Russians are coming. The Chinese are coming. Give you an example. The Chinese government set up with the agreement of the Papua New Guinea Government, set up a large naval base at Port Moresby, I am sure the Australian government, as we've seen in the Solomon Islands, will be exceptionally concerned. And it's the same idea with the Ukraine and Russia. If you are surrounded by your enemies, although both groups are you know, private investment for private profit crowds, and that's the beauty about the Russian-European conflict. It's got nothing to do with ideology. It's got nothing to do with nationalism. It's a little bit like World War One, a dirty little trade war fought by uh, workers no longer at the either end of a bayonet, but at the either end of a drone or a missile. And the major casualties in any modern conflict are civilians. It's not the well-armed, protected military forces who can kill people from thousands of miles away, but it's the civilian population that needs to scramble and run and find and hide in order to survive this type of uh, warfare. So it's not a matter of choosing sides. It's a matter of rejecting the idea Based around the concept of disaster capitalism, because there is a, such a thing as disaster capitalism, and disaster capitalism is a mechanism via which mechanism by which corporations make extraordinary profits during periods of disasters, especially wars, and we've seen this over and over and over again, and we continue to see it. Over and over again. It seems to be the one and only narrative that we accept. Everybody else is bad. We're good. They've got bad nuclear weapons. We've got good nuclear weapons. And the list goes on and on and on. So they get sucked into this little skirmish between Russia and the European Union and the USA. Obviously, the greatest uh, casualty list will be among the Ukrainian people themselves if if it continues. But most likely it won't continue, but it may continue. How how am I supposed to know? You don't know. I don't know. We'll see how this uh, little exercise goes down. But the dilemma is we've now reverted back to the Cold War mentality where a number of superpowers, and this time it's three, attempt to divide the world up into spheres of influence. For example, the Biden administration has quite clearly said in the last few months that Latin America is its sphere of influence and it will not tolerate any revolutionary activity in Latin America and is quite happy to intervene militarily. As far as Taiwan is concerned, the Ukraine is concerned, uh, it obviously wants to keep its forces in reserve because the United States now has a big problem. It has the best armaments in the world, or the most destructive, let's not use the word best, it has the most destructive armaments in the world. But it also have a it also has a large virtual industrial military complex that needs to be fed, that needs to make money. And we see this with our relationship well, not our relationship, the West's relationship, with the kingdom, with the House of Saudi on the Arabian Peninsula, where for decades, successive Australian governments and successive United States government have been protecting one well, of the most dangerous, evil governments, a feudal monarchy in the 21st century which continues not only to manipulate its own people, more importantly, continues to manipulate the whole Middle East. With the war in Yemen, which has been a wonderful testing ground for all types of weapons, which in many cases have been indiscriminately used against civilian targets. And if you look at the situation in Yemen today, it's basically a conflict between the mullahs in Iran and the feudal monarchs in the House of Saudi. So it's important to understand what's happening. You don't have to take sides. You don't have to jump up and down and wave an Australian flag and say, let's kill all the Russians and all the Chinese. You don't have to nod your head in agreement and say, isn't this wonderful? But uh, Mr. Morrison is uh, turning up the fear mongering level in Australian society. I mean, this is a wonderful little war for Mr Morrison. A wonderful little war. It's his tamper. And this ain't tamper light. This is the real tamper. This is his tamper. So what you'll see over the next three months as we, you know, slide towards a federal election is the fear-mongering going up and up and up and up. And if it's not the Russians, it'll be the Chinese, the Yellow Hordes. I mean, I'm old enough to remember posters that used to be put up with an arrow with Vietnam. They're saying, "If we don't stop them in Vietnam, they'll be here before we know it. We need to stop the yellow hordes." So it was a, it was a, it was a mixture of racism, fear. I mean, every colonial power is concerned about its own survival, and we're no different to anybody else. But. It doesn't mean we have to beat to that same. We don't. It doesn't mean we have to follow that same drumbeat. It doesn't mean we have to take sides. But what it does mean is that we need to try, and the key word is try, to understand one the underlying reasons for the conflict, and two, what it actually means for this country in terms of this country's security because we're told that the way we achieve security is by tagging along in the pocket of one of the superpowers, and obviously we've decided it's the US of A. The reality is very different, because what successive governments have done in this country from the 1950s is they have prevented Australia from developing an independent foreign policy which is based on two very important principles. One, we may be a European settler society, but we are in Asia. I mean, what Curtin had to do during World War Two, when the Japanese imperial forces were stamping through Papua New Guinea is he had to fight tooth and nail to get the Australian troops from uh, Alamein and Libya back to Australia to defend this country from imperialist aggression. And the key, when you remember the 80th anniversary of the bombing on Darwin, the key to the fact that the Japanese Imperial forces didn't actually land on this continent was due to the Chocos. So who are the Chocos? Who are the Chocos? Well, everybody else talks about the bravery of the people at Gallipoli and the Battle of the Somme. Where over 62,000 young men from a population of 5 million died on the European killing fields for the glory of God, King and Country where workers fought each other at either end of a bayonet in a dirty little trade war, we seem to have forgotten the Chocos. Well, the Chocos were the dregs. They were what was left in Australia in the middle of the war. They were young men, 18, 19, 20, who got six weeks, eight weeks of military training and were sent into the New Guinea governments, into the New Guinea jungles, to turn back the Japanese imperial force, an authoritarian, brutal authoritarian regime that had never been defeated in war, into the New Guinea highlands. And the old blokes, the old soldiers, you know, the hard, battle-hardened soldiers in Libya, called them Chocos. They said they're Choco, they're chocolate soldiers, they'll melt, they will melt in the sun with the Japanese adventures. Well, the Chocos were these very people who stopped the Japanese imperial force advance. And they stopped it for one very good reason, because they understood what would happen if the whole of Papua New Guinea had been conquered. They understood that. They were there to protect this country from the imposition of some authoritarian, brutal regime. They were fighting for their country. They weren't fighting for the US. They weren't fighting over Taiwan. They weren't fighting over Ukraine. They weren't fighting some dirty little proxy war in Africa, in Angola or Mozambique or Latin America. They were fighting to defend their partners, their children, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, from the onslaught of fascism. And that's the issue. Do we really need to sacrifice our independence as a sovereign nation-state in order to have some type of protection from what can be described as a failing state? And I'm talking about the United States of America. Failing in terms of providing the basic necessities for its citizens, failing in terms of dealing with the mistrusts and the misinformation and disinformation which has become part and parcel of American life. Do we really need to have thousands of American troops on Australian soil? Do we really need to have Pine Gap and other secret military bases that are used to coordinate wars all over the world? Do we really need to expand that link? Do we really need to do that or do we need to develop an independent foreign policy which is based on protecting not the corporate sector, not the private investment for private profit crowd, but protecting the people living on this continent. And that's the central question. And if we think that by attaching ourselves to US coattails we'll be protected forever and ever, think again. It took the Taliban two weeks to overrun a superior military force in Afghanistan. I mean, the Taliban's a brutal, nasty, fundamentalist government, and they were actually able to walk in as soon as the US pulled out and take over. And why? We'll talk about that in a second. So if you think your future and your children's future and their future... Is somehow tied in with what's with uh, an unwavering, unquestioning military alliance with the U.S. Not only a military alliance, but what we've done now is with the rescinding of the French contract. What we have done, as a submarine contract, what we have done is we have put all our eggs in the same basket. We are now part and parcel of the US military-industrial complex. We are part and parcel of the disaster capitalism. Every single part of our defence system, air, land, navy, weapons of this country, is, is tied in with the United States. Tied in. No independence. Do you really think if the Chinese are going to take over Taiwan that uh, we're going to go there and fight? How many of you are willing to have your children and grandchildren sacrificed in that fight? And that's the dilemma that we've always had in Australia. We've always felt to be outsiders. We colonised this country... Using some of the brutal, most brutal methods possible, we enacted legislation to legalise the theft of the land and the brutalisation and genocide of the people. And now we like we continue to think of ourselves as some European enclave in a hostile Asian setting. And it will come to pass, it will come to pass that this is what will happen if we continue. If we continue to follow this um, total dependence on the U.S. of A. Look what happened in Afghanistan. Did they really care what happens to the people of Afghanistan when the Taliban moved in? Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. Do you think they really care what's going to happen to the people of Australia if somebody moves into this country? Well, maybe initially, but long term, the United States government is there to protect the United States and its interests on a global level. Let's move on. I know I've been... This is The Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on th- live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Let's move on. I've always been interested in why does U.S. military intervention always end in massive corruption. Let's all get back to Afghanistan. Now, a lot of people didn't seem to understand, although the Afghan forces had over 350,000 troops who were armed, And the Taliban had less than 70,000 troops. The Taliban were able to overrun the country in two weeks when the United States' support was uh, ended. And a lot of people don't really understand what happened in Iraq. You know, it's very funny to hear the United States talk about territorial integrity and the fact that the Russians have uh, recognised some breakaway sections of Ukraine as uh, you know the foretaste of some type of apocalyptic invasion. But let's not forget, let's look at the US intervention in the in Vietnam, in many South American countries, in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, and the list goes on and on. Even the US, believe it or not, <laughs> intervention in Granada. And the list goes on and on. And it seems that every time there's some type of U.S. intervention, corruption follows. Now, the people, the soldiers in Afghanistan, it's not, it's not a matter of doubting their bravery, but they had nothing to fight for. Nothing to fight for. They were part and parcel of a totally corrupt regime which had been put in place... By a military industrial US complex that used every tr- trick in the disaster capitalism handbook in order to create massive profits for a small elite. And that's what the Taliban were able to run on. Because everywhere you looked, although there were some changes as far as personal relationships is concerned. Corruption was an issue to such an extent that Afghan soldiers were not even getting the bullets necessary to defend themselves and their families because of corruption. If you look at what's happening in South Vietnam before the communist takeover, if you look at what happened in Iraq, you can see that corruption comes hand in hand with US intervention and Russian intervention, and Chinese intervention. It comes hand in hand. For in order for an intervening power to continue to dominate a sovereign nation state they have conquered, they need to be able to create an elite who will basically follow the narrative an elite who's there to enrich themselves. You I know, mean, I was talking to somebody I know from Iraq and who has um, relatives in the Iraqi civil service. And he says, well, they get paid, but they don't go to work. It's just part of the system. Well, this goes on and on. So corruption is what undoes the private investment for private profit crowd. You've got corruption in terms of the private security agencies which come into a country to provide security. You've got corruption in terms of these soldiers who change sides and become mercenaries. You've got corruption in terms of arms deals which are basically there not to protect the people, to protect a system of exploitation. Think about it. Do you really want to be part of this narrative? Do you really want to accept this narrative? As I said before, we don't need to take sides. We need to expose it for what it is. And what the Morrison-led government and the Howard government and the Rudd government and, you know, the Gillard government and the list goes and the Keating and the Hawke government have all got blood on their hands. Blood in terms of not developing an independent foreign policy which places Australia in Asia. And while we refuse to do that, we increase, not decrease, the security risks in this country. And my great fear is, if there is some type of superpower confrontation regarding Taiwan, that we will be at the front line of that battle because of the alliances and the U.S. presence on this soil. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast, in, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. One in eight. Oh, you know, we're told this is a great country. Look, I believe this could be a great country. But even I was a little bit surprised, and I've been around a while, I've been a doctor for almost 50 years, so you do get surprised sometimes. I was surprised that one in eight Australians are on antidepressant medications. That's about three million. Now, as antidepressants are rarely used in people under about 15, the figures would be more like one in six adults, maybe even one in five adults in this country, are on antidepressant medications. So the dilemma we face in the 21st century is, if we accept the narrative that private investment for private profit is the way ahead, then we need... To understand, there are personal costs. So what we are seeing is the turning of community angst and concerns regarding the direction the globalization, privatization, corporatization, deregul- deregulation revolution has taking us. there are real community concerns. Concerns based on the inability to access housing. If you can access housing, so much of your income goes to providing a roof over your head. The inability, because of lack of financing, of the public hospital sector and the public education sector, the public health sector, providing the necessary support to people who don't have the disposable income to buy the best health care or the best um, education money can buy, and that's a significant number of the population. We're concerned about the increasingly difficult interpersonal relationships and community breakdown, which is occurring because of insecure part-time work irrespective of whether you believe or not that violence between partners is a matter of power relationships there are many other factors which enter that equation that inability to meet your debts although you're working your fingers to the bone or you can't find work or you're in temporary part-time work does have a significant impact on personal relationships. Then there's the issue of relevance. I mean, we live in a consumer society. Consumption is the name of the game. And if you were cynical which I'm not, you'd have the words consume, defecate, die tattooed on your back or maybe even on your forehead because that's the essence of life in Australia in the 21st century. Well, there's a lot of, you know, hallabaloo about personal relationships, about minorities. I mean... The reality is that the gap between those who have things and those who don't and those who need things is growing rapidly and we see the growth of billionaires in this country as one of the fastest-growing industries. And these people obviously make their buck at the expense of the community. So you begin to understand why about one in five adults in this country are on antidepressant medications because what we're trying to do What people in authority are trying to do is turn general community angst and anger into a personal issue. The problem isn't with the system, the problem is with you. That's right. And if the problem is with you, the way we address that problem is not by making any Changes or significant changes to the system, but by manipulating people chemically in order to maintain peace in a divided society. I'm not saying that antidepressants are not needed in a minority of people, they can be. I don't believe that one in five adults in this country needs to be on an antidepressant. So we're looking at the problem at the wrong end. We see that there are all these depressed, angry, anxious people in the community and we see this acting out in a variety of ways. Murder of intimate partners, violence in the home, violence in the community depression, suicide, the list goes on and on. We see the effects. I mean, we're supposed to be a sophisticated 21st century nation, state that is able to look after the interests of each and every one of us. But the dilemma is, from the parliamentary puppets to those in the expanding wellness health industry, the fact is it doesn't matter how many antidepressants you take if your issue is related to your social economic situation the antidepressants may make you feel a bit better because it's playing with your you know the dopamine levels in your brain but it doesn't actually address the problem and that's why people are on them for so long it doesn't address the problem and that's what we've forgotten in 21st century Australia, we have forgotten, it's not about we are what we eat, but we are to a significant degree products of the society we belong to. Now, some people say about 50% of our actions are, are um, kind of predicated by our DNA. There is a significant proportion of our actions is predicated. By the way we live, the way we interact, the way we're pushed and prodded and shoved in order to maximise profits for a shrinking minority in this country. And when you get to the situation where governments no longer look after the interests of the people they represent and they're pushed and prodded along By a small section that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, and communication, you see the consequences at a personal level. At a personal level. And that's the issue. At a personal level. That's why so many people in this country find themselves in a situation where they have to go to a health professional in order to try to minimise their anxiety. Many self-medicate, drugs, alcohol. Many go to psychologists, a few to psychiatrists. I mean, they've priced themselves out of the business, the psychiatrists. I think it's a dollar for six seconds in a private consultation with a psychiatrist. But turning community angst into personal problems is not going to solve anything. All it does is magnify those problems. And sooner or later, we are going to find ourselves in a situation where the fear and anxiety, and we see it now, trickles down through the adult population into the lives of children because of the interactions we are forced to be involved in in order to survive. Think about it. You want change? You want decrease in the suicide rate? You want a decrease in anxiety levels? You don't want to have to rely on an antidepressant in order to get up every day? Well, maybe, well, just maybe, the issue is the community you live in, the society you live in, the principles this society is based on, private investment for private profit, Above all else, maybe what we really need is a change in the attitudes that we have as far as the private investment for private profit mantra is concerned. Because it's all about maximising profits for major shareholders at the expense of human beings, the community as a whole, the environment and a sovereign nation state. And again, as I keep saying, is it all dovetails. Dovetails. The more money you have to spend to support the military-industrial complex, the less money that goes into providing for the basic needs of human beings. The more legislation is passed to ensure that the top end of town doesn't pay taxes legally, the less the services which are available to people. And when push comes to shove... Not very many people at the end of a lifetime have enough money in their superannuation to live comfortable lives. Just one hospitalisation could cost you $100,000, $150,000 in the private sector. Two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars $250,000, the list goes on and on. So think about it. I mean, that's one of the reasons public interest before corporate interest was um, founded in 2015. Not because we don't believe that Individuals have personal issues. We all have personal issues. We all have regrets. We all have regrets. But because we think, or we think, we know, not think, we know, that many of the problems that we face as individuals is directly linked to the type of society we have created. A society that only, only celebrates the private investment for private profit narrative. you listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Websites you can go to, anarchistmedia.org, public interest before corporate interest. YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. Podcast, 3cr.org.au, Anarchist World this week, Radical Australia. What else? You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. You can write to us at Post... You can leave messages on 0439395489. If you're going to ring, leave a message. It's that simple. You don't leave a message, I don't ring back. He's just a naughty little boy. Did you know that? He's just a naughty little boy. Remember... uh The Monty Python skit or movie, The Life of Brian, when old JC was out there preaching and his mum comes out and says he's just a naughty little boy. Well, we've just seen the same scene played out in Australian politics. Now, a billionaire, young chap, Brooks something, I think Brooks Collins, has made a bid for AGL. Now, AGL is a privatised company, because let's not forget that we privatised all our essential services, including electricity, which makes it exceptionally difficult to deal with the climate emergency because obviously these companies are still trying to maximise profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the um, harm done to the community. Now, this gentleman, well, I assume he doesn't need to work, you know, in order to survive being a billionaire has decided to make a bid for AGL, which is Australia's biggest energy company for about three million customers. You should have seen the consternation in the Murdoch media. The consternation. Coal Boy, our current Prime Minister, the man who took a lump of coal into Parliament to show us how innocuous it is, they were beside themselves. This is one of their mob... This is one of the private investment for private profit mob. And he's come in and said, Look, I and a few mates want to buy AGL. We want AGL to shut down its fire, coal-fired power stations much earlier than they're planning to. And we want to invest in creating green energy. Remember, I've told you there's always money in green capitalism. There's a lot of money. And obviously when billionaires start investing... You know there's a lot of money in it. But the Murdoch media was beside itself. Here we have one of their very own. A billionaire. Somebody they aspire to. A billionaire. Tech-savvy billionaire. Trying, trying to change things by using money. And that's what they're frightened of. And that's what they've been frightened of, and that's why they're interested in introducing legislation to stop people cutting off the money supply. Because in a private investment for private profit world, you need to make a buck. Unless you're subsidised by governments, you need to make a buck. But the trouble is, if you need to make a buck, you need to close down industries which are no longer relevant, which are fast being phased out in many parts of the world. So if you get a little billionaire, a naughty little boy, turning up and saying, I want to buy this and I want to change it. It rocks them to their socks. They are petrified because there could be other billionaires out there who want to do the same thing. Who want to do the same thing? So a naughty little boy or the Messiah? Who knows? You choose. You saw the life of Brian. He was a naughty little boy. Was he a naughty little boy or was he a Messiah? Is this gentleman, this billionaire, a naughty little boy who wants to create a little bit of chaos in order to maximise his gains, or is he a messiah in terms of removing the toxic private investment for private profit brigade from the private investment for private profit bandwagon. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, I'm a, one day you're a hero and the next day you chop liver, maybe even a terrorist. Now, I've been following the shenanigans in New South Wales at a number of levels. One is the shenanigans regarding federal uh, Liberal Party pre-selection for federal seats, where ministers are under pressure by the rank and file of the party and a particular minister, forgotten his name, is taking the matter to the federal court. Could you imagine that? Pre-selection, not finalised in New South Wales, Liberal Party pre-selection, election about three months away, maybe less, and they haven't finalised their candidates because they're fighting amongst each other, and a minister is going to be dumped by the rank and file, who think he's a dunderhead, is going to the federal court to ensure trying to stopping the rank and file of the party from dumping him. At the same time, you have a New South Wales state government which is floundering. And a a, a wonderful example is the recent dispute regarding transport services in New South Wales. Now, transport workers in New South Wales were hailed as frontline COVID-19 heroes because they kept the trains and the buses and the ferries running during COVID-19, not just when the times we had uh, uh, vaccination, but before vaccination. They were out there day after day, day after day, providing essential services, and they were lauded, as the nurses were in New South Wales, as heroes. Let's not forget we saw the nurses out on the street in an unauthorised stop work, a week ago, it was the same issue. Now, the New South Wales Transport Minister has labelled them as terrorists. You can smell there's an election in the air, can't you? Hyperbole, Terrorists. COVID-19 heroes one day, terrorists the next. And what did these terrorists do? Well, during the midst of an enterprise bargaining agreement period, they introduced a few bans. didn't go out and strike. Introduced a few bands, which made the network a little bit difficult. But nobody, nobody left work. And what did the New South Wales government do? Although they claim they didn't, they claim it was the authority. And this is what I love about the transport minister. He's, he's, he's an idiot. My apologies to an idiot listening to this program to compare you with the New South Wales transport minister. He says, I didn't know. I only knew when I read about it in the papers that the whole system had been closed down. Nobody rang me. Come on. Obviously, they were trying to create this situation where they wanted the New South Wales people to blame the naughty, 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 naughty terrorists in the transport system for for, uh, locking down the system. The reality is what we are seeing is public service workers across New South Wales and across Australia asking for their pound of flesh. They did the hard work during the last two years. Now they want a little bit of a wage rise and a little bit of security. And what does the government do at the state and federal level? Try to politicise it fear-mongering once again. If it isn't the yellow hordes, if it isn't the bloody Russians, it's the bloody trade unionists or the refugees or the asylum seekers, you name it, the Aboriginals, the Torres Strait Islanders, you name it, fear, fear, fear is the name of the game as far as elections are concerned in this country. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming across Australia courtesy of the Community Radio Network a few websites to go to public interest before corporate interest if you like what you see join now anarchismedia.org Facebook pages public housing everybody's business defend and Extend public housing Joseph Toscano, Toscana for the public YouTube channels public interest before corporate Interests, podcasts anarchismedia.org radicalstraru v- v- Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. You don't have to take sides about what's happening in Ukraine. What you need to do is analyze things. Think about disaster capitalism. Think about how necessary it is to have a dirty little war somewhere in the world so the military-industrial complex can maximize its profits at the expense of human beings. Thank you once again. Listen to the Anarchist World this week On your local community radio station Courtesy of the Community Radio Network My name is Joseph Toscana You can write to us, yes I do answer letters Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com Thank you once again Listen in next week to the Anarchist World This week on your local community radio station
0: Evil minds that plot destruction the sorcerer of death Construction.
1: An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall This Week for an up to date analysis of local, national, and international events.
0: Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord yeah.